Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. It's, uh, it's always good to sing uh, the words of Scripture. Does anyone know uh, whereabouts in Scripture those that comes from? Psalm number one. Well, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word now. Uh, we're, we're returning to a sermon series that we started some time ago. The sermon series is called Blessed to be a blessing. Um, it's a series we began last year and then we put it on pause in the lead up to Christmas. Um, so it's a little while since we've been looking at this series um, from the book of Genesis. So maybe we just need a little reminder of what we've covered so far. So if you could um, grab your Bible and open it up to Genesis chapter 12. Um, those little headings that are in the Bible are a great way just to just to browse through and remember what we've read so far. So what, what have we done so far? We, we started this series in chapter 12 where God called a man named Abram, otherwise known as Abraham, and said, leave your home country, go somewhere new that I will show you. And remember, God promised to bless Abraham and says, I'm going to use you, Abraham, as the channel of my blessing to the whole world. I then uh, flip over chapter 13. We've got uh, Abraham has been travelling with his nephew called Lot, but they decide at this point to separate. And this is going to be important background for today's sermon. Remember, remember Lot chose the best land, the land by the river, the land near the city called Sodom, while Abraham stayed up in the mountains. You get to chapter 14 and you find that Lot is living in the city of Sodom and that leads to some trouble that Abraham has to come and rescue him from. And then chapters 15 and 16 and 17, it's all about God's promises to Abraham. And God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises a child. And then we get to the first half of chapter 18, where we've got that story. Do you remember Abraham welcomed three special and mysterious visitors, including the Lord himself, who repeated the promise of a child? Well, where we're reading from today, uh, we're going to pick up the story in the middle of chapter 18, where these three visitors have just finished their meal with Abraham. So I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16. It's on page 22 of the church Bible. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16. Oh, and before I read, let me give a content warning. Um, there's some pretty full-on stuff that happens in this next passage. It's, it's not G-rated, but it is the Word of God written for our good. So, Genesis chapter 18 from verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. And then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. 
For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. And if not, I will know. Well, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, well, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now we continue reading into chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. And he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And before they'd gone to bed... All the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Hey, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. 
Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men for they've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. Hey, this fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. I'm up to verse 15. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, hurry. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, please, your servant has found favour in your eyes and you've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? And, And then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, Flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And this is why the town was called Zoar, which means small. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land, and then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Well, let's turn to one more passage in the New Testament. Uh, Luke chapter 17, and it's on page 1493. Luke chapter 17. And these are just a few words of Jesus where he reflects on what happened to the city of Sodom. So this is Luke chapter 17, and I'm going to read from verse 26. And Jesus is speaking. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. 
People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to, 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 to you and we have heard your word, we recognise that this is a, a solemn and a serious passage and we pray that you will give us understanding and that you will equip us to live lives in response to you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here is a challenging question. Could a God of love really send people to hell? This is a, I think this is an important question for us to grapple with. It's important for your own faith. Well, I've met Christians who... who, who struggle to fully love God or to really trust his word because as they read his word that they find one passage which says God is love and then another passage which speaks about God's judgment and so it's important that we resolve this this question it's also important for us to be ready to give an answer to anyone who might ask us about this. Because I don't know about you, I've had plenty of times, I've had conversations with people who'll say to me, yep, look, I can believe that God exists, so I believe there's someone out there and I'm attracted to a God of love, but I just can't accept that a loving God could send people to hell. Today our focus is going to be uh, Genesis, uh, mostly on chapter 18, a little bit of chapter 19 as well. Um, that's going to be our focus. But did you pick up how in the New Testament reading, Jesus compared this story of the judgment of Sodom, he compared that to what's going to happen when he returns. And actually you find the same comparison, you find it in 2 Peter chapter 2, and also you find it in the book of Jude, Here's Jude, verse 7. Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So as we look at this story in Genesis this morning, what we're looking at is a, is a bit of a model of the judgment that's to come. Uh, but by looking at this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it will help us think through and understand the judgment to come. Oh, by the way, my plan is actually to spend two weeks looking at the story of the judgment of Sodom because there's a whole lot of issues in here. There's a number of issues in this passage about human sexuality, which in our day and age, I think they need some careful thought. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave all, all, all of the questions about sexuality, I'm going to leave that till next week. 
Today, I think we've got plenty to focus on just thinking about the issue of judgment. And in particular, just asking this question, how does this picture of judgment fit together with the God of love that we meet in the New Testament? And so to answer that question, I want to make four points this morning. And the first one is this. We should appreciate that in this passage, God is responding to an outcry. See, what I mean is that uh, the first mention of the city of Sodom in this passage is Genesis chapter 18 and verse 20. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they've done is as bad as the outcry that's reached me. Um, now, whatever, whatever your views on sexuality are, I think most people, when you read chapter 19 and you read what the people of Sodom were trying to do, I think most people would agree that what they were trying to do was abusive and wrong. Um, I think we can understand why people might have been calling out to God saying, God, look what's happening to us. When you do something about it? See, sometimes, sometimes people can not like the idea of God judging sin because we can have a trivial view of sin. You can, when you can use the word sin and think, oh, that means just breaking some unnecessary rule. But here we're reminded that a life of sin leads to people getting hurt. There are are victims who have been crying out. And so my question is, hang on, do we want a God who sees humans mistreating other humans but then just sort of shrugs his shoulders and doesn't do anything? Just just think about our world, the real world that we live in. In just the last two years, there's, we've had Russia invading Ukraine and Hamas attacking Israel and Israel attacking Gaza and then all the stuff that doesn't fit on the front page in Myanmar and Sudan and the Maghreb. Now, while all this stuff's been going on in our world, what have people been calling out for? When, when, when uh, every weekend, when protesters gather in the CBD of Melbourne, what, what are they saying? Are they, are they gathering together and saying, let's pretend we didn't see this? No. <laughs> what I've seen are protesters saying, won't somebody do something? What I've seen are, are posters on street corners saying, silence is violence. Um, in the last couple of days, there's been, uh, I don't know if you saw the, the news of the sentencing of two teenagers in Britain. Two teenagers who were fascinated with the idea of murdering someone. And that they wrote a list of people at their school that they wanted to kill. And then they lured the first one on that list into a park and stabbed her to death. What do we think should be done about that? 
As a society, should we say, oh, well, well, what they really need is, well, a hug and an encouragement to be a bit nicer next time? Look, maybe they do need a hug, but I think there's general agreement that you, you have to do something about that. You cannot let them get away with it. That they've received a long sentence and there's general agreement that that is just and right that they receive a long sentence. See, when we're thinking about judgment and when we're thinking about God's judgment, we're thinking about what's just and right. If we have this desire that someone will do something about the injustice in our world, well, then Judgment Day is the fulfilment of that longing. Judgment Day is God doing what is right. I mean, can you just imagine people calling out for help, calling out for justice? God, please do something. Can you imagine if God just says, yeah, no, I'm not going to do anything. See, I'm a God of love. Like, I think if, if God said that, you could turn around and say, hang on a minute, don't you care? I don't think you're a God of love at all. In the end, in the real world, you can't have salvation for the oppressed without the judgment of the wicked. God's judgment is not opposed to his love. Now, in the end, God judges because he loves, because he cares about this world. And yet, this is a heavy topic. The second point that I want to make is that it's actually appropriate for us to be shocked by this passage. It's appropriate for us to be disturbed by the news of judgment. I mean, that's how Abraham reacts. As soon as Abraham hears, hang on, hang on a minute, God's going to check out what's happening in Sodom, that's not going to end well. Have a look at Genesis chapter 18 and verse 25. Abraham says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? I mean, Abraham's particularly concerned about his nephew Lot, who's in that city. I mean, Abraham has loved ones in this city which is in danger of judgment. I think our tone is important when we speak about judgment as Christians. Judgment is a, it's a, it's a serious thing and it affects people that we care about. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Do you remember that time when Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem and he spoke about the judgment that will come on Jerusalem? What did he do as he spoke about judgment? He wept. And so let's never be smug or casual when we talk about judgment. I mean, really, that's why I, I put this sermon series on hold a little bit before Christmas because I just thought oh, the, just, the, just the mood of Christmas doesn't, 
you know, it's, it's not the right place to bring up the heavy things that we're looking at today. Um, it's interesting. God lets Abraham know about his plans. Why? Why does God let Abraham know? Well, I think, first of all, it's so that Abraham can pray for mercy. That's what Abraham's doing as he speaks with God in the second half of chapter 18. And God does respond to Abraham's concerns. Look at the very end of the story. So chapter 19 and verse 29. 19 verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities, of this is sort of the summary statement. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered, who did he remember? Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe. Friends, God God has told us that there is a day coming when everyone will have to answer to him. So are you praying? Are you praying that, that there will be conversions here in Reservoir? Are you praying that there will be conversions in your workplace? Are you, are you praying that there will be conversions in your family? In fact, when it comes to your family, I'm sure you are praying. It's right to feel heavy when we think about God's judgment, when we think about people that we love who will have to face that judgment. But what do we do about that heaviness? Well, let that heaviness drive you to prayer. Here's the third point. We can be confident that God is ready to show mercy. See, Abraham says, uh, chapter 18, verse 24, Lord, what, what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? And God replies, hey, Abraham, you know what? I will spare the whole city for the sake of the 50. God's ready to be merciful, even to the wicked, for the sake of his people. And then you've got this thing, Abraham says, okay, but what about 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? I think Abraham maybe chickens out before he gets all the way down to one. But still, God's answer, God's answer is the same every time and God's answer tells us something about his character. It shows us that it's not as if God is sort of on the prowl, just looking for a chance to judge, just waiting for someone to step out of line so he can go whack. No, God is more than willing to be patient. God is willing to show more mercy than he needs to. And do you notice that there is an offer of escape? Chapter 19, verse 12, the angels say to Lot, hey, do you have anyone else here? like sons-in-law or sons or daughters or just anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here. We're kind of like Lot, aren't we? Like we've been warned that one day there's a judgment coming. We have a message for anyone who'll believe. The message is you can be part of our family because this is a family which will be saved from judgment. I mean, the sad thing here is that when Lot 
does deliver the message, his sons-in-law think he's joking. Like It's a very Aussie kind of response, isn't it? But he's not joking, and it's a serious thing. Um, in, in the Presbyterian Church, we have our, like, our statement of doctrine. Um, it's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And in it, there's, there's this section where it talks about how we believe God is in control of everything, God plans everything. And, and yet, there's this interesting little comment. Even though God's in control of everything, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. Like in modern English, that's trying to sum up what the Bible teaches about actually people make real choices. It's saying if, if, if you don't love God and you don't want to love God, he's, he's not going to force you to know him against your will. I mean, the men of Sodom wanted to force the visitors into a relationship, but God's not like that. It's saying if, if you really don't want God in your life then he will give you what you want. Which, sadly, is eternity without him. And so the picture of God that we get in today's passage is not a God who's eagerly jumping into judgment, but a God who slowly and fairly comes to judgment and who mercifully holds out an opportunity for people to be saved if they want it. Friends, if you're here this morning and you want to be saved, God is holding out an offer to you to know him, to receive forgiveness, to, to become one of his people. Come just as you are, whatever, whatever your background, whatever you've done, doesn't matter. You come to him, he's saying, here's the offer to be saved. I guess the flip side of that is, but if you really don't want him, like, I hate to say it, but if, if you don't want him, that's on you. you. You can't blame God if you choose death instead of life. The last thing that I want us to remember is that we, we need to understand how this teaching about judgment gets, gets filled out in the rest of the story of the Bible, because we're only up to page 24. Um, Sodom is the model of the city that deserves to be judged. But as you read ahead in the Old Testament, first of all, you find the prophets talking to the people of God and saying, hey, you know what? You guys are actually not much better than Sodom. The the city of Jerusalem gets labelled as a new Sodom. And and so I think if if we're honest, that we we need to recognise the capacity within each of us to be like the people of Sodom. Because, okay, it's this behaviour and some of the examples I've used today are probably on the fairly extreme end. I'm guessing that most of us in this room have never raped or stabbed anyone. But surely we've hurt people in so many other ways. I mean, if you've never hurt anyone else, you're a much better person than I am. And this story is a story of a mob Rising up, and history history shows us that when mob mentality takes hold, 
You can have you can have normal everyday people who suddenly join in horrific things. It's it's that sinful nature that's in us. But by God's grace, not everyone is put in that situation where it gets let loose completely. Sometimes us modern people, you know, we're very self-centered and we can we can think that, hey, this all this talk of judgment, that's a bit of a problem for God. Like, how dare he? He needs to explain himself. But if the God of the Bible really exists, then judgment's not a, like ju- judgment's actually a problem for us. Because there's a day coming when all our actions, even the thoughts of our hearts, will be exposed before him. The the, the climax of the story of the Bible is, of course, when Jesus came to visit the city of Jerusalem. And actually, just like when God's representatives came to Sodom and they were mistreated, so when Jesus went to Jerusalem, the mob rose up against him. And unlike Lot, who got rescued from the city, Jesus actually allowed himself to be taken and beaten and hung on a cross. So what was happening there? Why didn't Jesus run from the city? Well, what was happening is that the only truly righteous man, the only man who can stand before God without any fear or any shame or any guilt of his own when his thoughts and deeds are exposed, that man took the judgment of God On behalf of us, his people. In a sense, the fire and the brimstone from this chapter rained down on Jesus as he hung in darkness at the cross. So that now, now that he's been raised from the dead, now that he's gone into the presence of God, the offer is for us to join with him and so escape the city of judgment as part of his family. But remember, today's passage from Genesis is not just a story of judgment. Ultimately, that's summed up as a story of Lot and the people with him being saved from judgment. And the cross, the cross shows us that there, there is no final contradiction between a God of justice and a God of love. He doesn't have to choose one or the other because at the cross we get both at the same time. At the cross, God deals with our sin with the kind of justice that is right. That the kind of justice that takes our victims seriously. And yet at the cross, at the same time, in that same moment, he shows us how deep his love for us is and how willing he is to show mercy. The cross shows, as our memory verse told us, God is kind as well as stern. Friends, what we've read about Sodom today, remember, it's only an example. The final judgment will be worldwide. No one will escape that judgment by running from God. But you can escape by running to God through Jesus Christ. If you're willing to recognise Jesus as the one who will take your judgment, 
then you will be welcomed in to experience the kindness and the love and the mercy of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of justice, that you take suffering seriously. And we thank you that there is mercy and love and forgiveness through Jesus for our injustice. Father, we ask that you will bring others to know and to share with us in your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.